And a good morning. Beautiful, is it not? My goodness, this is just good. If this is global warming, it's all right with me. Anyway, no, just kidding. I don't, probably got some tree huggers out there ready to stone me. But, um, you know, someone said to me, you know, how to, there's certain things you just don't need to say. And I go, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It comes out. It's a, it's a Peterism. Anyway. Well, if you're visiting, again, I know Juan always welcomes everybody, and, I, and likewise, I just welcome you too. We're, in the, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, in chronological order, and uh, I had someone from Maine um, ask me for my outline, um, and, and so, you know, I'm still building it as I, we're doing this together, but then I realized that, my, my goodness, we've been doing this over a year now. And, uh, you know, we might have a year left. I mean, because towards the end of Jesus' life, there's so much um, that he did and he said, especially he said to his disciples, that's real meaningful and should be meaningful to you and I as well. But anyway, um, I've had a great journey, man. It is still a great journey, but I've learned a lot. And by the time we're done, we would have covered all four Gospels um, in chronological order. And to me, that's pretty cool, you know, learning and studying about Jesus. So we find ourselves in this timeline uh, a couple weeks away from Jesus' crucifixion, and that would be Matthew chapter 20. If you'll turn there, Matthew 20. And um, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Um, If you were here last week, try to remember the, the content or the context. Uh, how a young man came to Jesus, a ruler. He wanted to know how to have eternal life. Jesus revealed to him there's something that's really going to hinder him. And it was his wealth. It was his master passion. It was what he was living for. And to reveal the man's heart to himself... He'd say, go sell everything you have. Come follow me. Pick up your cross. Follow me. And he couldn't do that. The young man was at least honest with himself. It bummed him out, however. It tells us he walked away sadded because he knew. You know, he was caught. And then uh, we'll cover a little bit of this this morning. But when the disciples saw this young walk away, Peter pipes in and says, you know, Lord, we've left everything. <laughs> We're not like that guy. He's not willing to let it all go. We're, we did. We left our homes and we, you know, everything we knew and we came following you. And what do we get out of it? You know, that's good old Peter. It wasn't one of his shining moments, but he said, well, you know, Peter, you will be blessed in the eternal and even now. But just remember, the first will be last and the last will be first. You might think you're coming in last, but... In reality, spiritually, you're going to be first. And Peter, and I'm sure the rest of them, the rest of them were just smart enough not to open their mouths, you know. But Peter had that, this thing going on. But anyway, and so it's important for us really to understand that because this flows right into it. That's why we're still in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 20 here. Uh, verse 17, he says, 
Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way. And he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What do you want? She saith unto him, Well, grant that these my two sons may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in your, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, Yep. <laughs> sure. He saith unto them, Okay, you shall drink indeed of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Man, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. Jesus called them unto himself and said, Look, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are a great exercise authority over, upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whoever or whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's stand together with Bible in hand. Pray for God's Holy Spirit. Amen, guys. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. What a privilege it is, Lord. And I do pray, Father, for so many of us that we've been doing this such a long time that we would never grow cold or, or even callous towards your word, but that your word would be something that we would crave. Your word would be something so desirous in our hearts that we would want to be in it every day and every evening. I think of David your word have I meditated upon day and night. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege to be able to come together within these four walls. And some of us have our Bibles in our hands, or maybe it's just the technology that we use today. But nonetheless, it is your, it is your word. It is a written word, and it is a spoken word that comes from your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we realize, Lord... Without your Holy Spirit, this would just be a novel. It would just be a book, God. But it's not. It's something that's in your hands that's sharp and it's powerful. It is your word, Father, that can set a person free. It is your word, as David said, how, whereby can a young man cleanse his way? But by taking heed to the word of God. So, Father, we just cherish this. We love it, Lord. And we love you for dying on the cross in order to anoint the prophets of old to give it to us 
So thank you so much for it, Lord. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint us to receive it. And it's always going to be in your name that we pray. And everyone said together, amen and amen. I don't have this written down. It sort of like just came to me. Um, the scriptures, how they betray the the disciples and and just people, you know, in general. Salome's in this, you know, uh, Zebedee's wife, and uh, just how normal people are in the Bible. You know, we always kid around about uh, Peter and how he has the foot and mouth disease, you know, he's always saying things when he shouldn't, and when he should, he doesn't, and he's got those problems, you know, but without raising hands, how many of us can relate to a Peter, you know? Sure. Here's a scary one. If we don't keep it in check, how many of us can relate to a Judas Iscariot? That's scary, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, (laughs) you know? But I love that about the scriptures. You know, and I love how Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for his death. He didn't have to. He knew what Peter was going to do. He even prophesied to Peter. Yo, Peter, yeah, you're you're saying you're going to stick in there with me, but sorry, buddy, before the rooster crows, you know, you're going to have to deny me three times. Not me, man. I'll go and die with you. I think he meant it. He did pull out a sword to fight off the high priest soldiers, right? Not too many others did that. But I like the Bible. I love the how real it is, you know. Jesus does predict his death three times up to this point. This, is, this will be the third time where he will say to his disciples, and if you would, please just follow along with me. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem, and remember... Um, in their mind, it didn't matter if you were south or north, west or east, you always headed up. It was a sign of, of reverence. It was a sign of respect. You never went down to anything that was God, right? But it's sort of like the Jerseyans here, right? What do we say when we go to the shore? Going down to the shore. Doesn't matter if you're north, south, or you're go heading west or east, but Jersey guys will say, eh, going down to the shore. How many of you know that to be true, Right? And if you say we're going over, you're not from this area. Sorry. Somebody said, you you really love Jersey. I do love New Jersey. I'm not North Jersey. That's another state. (laughs) But I really love where I live. South Jersey's the bomb, as my kids would say, you know. We're near the shore. We can go down there. When I was younger, I used to surf and kayak. If I want to go to the Pokies, I'm there in an hour and a half, two hours. I got a great city, great airport. What else do you want? Great church, great church family. I'm getting out of Jersey. Well, then go ahead and go. Jeez. <laughs> ah, the taxes, the insurance. Go somewhere else. You'll find something else to bellyache about. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest today. But they would always go up to Jerusalem. And he's taking the 12 disciples, and he pulls them aside. He just wants a private conversation with them, as often he does. He'll take them to the garden to pray. I just love that kind of relationship he had with the disciples. And it says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. 
Now, I'm just wondering, just as a side note, what is Judas thinking about right now? Because you know he's starting to meander or, or ponder this whole thing about deceiving the Lord. And here he comes. Now, this is the first time he's indicated. He will again when he's, when he's at the, the Passover meal. But he starts to say, somebody's going to betray me here. And I'm just thinking if, if uh, Judas knows that this thought is so deep in his heart, he's going to do it. Sin is always birthed in the heart. You know that, right, guys? That's why in Proverbs it tells us to guard the issues of your heart. You, you know, for out it flows the issues of life. Your heart determines your course. But anyway, uh, we'll be talking about the heart in a minute. But anyway, um, he's going to be betrayed to the chief priest, to the, to the scribes. That would be the religious leaders. And, of course, they're the ones who trumped up the false charges on him. They had a kangaroo court. But then they condemned him to death there, and then he's going to be delivered to the Gentiles, meaning he's going to be delivered over to the Romans. And the reason why the, the religious leaders had to deliver him to the Gentiles or the Roman leaders is because Rome had taken away their rights to perform any executions. If they had that right, they would have stoned Jesus, not crucified him. And if they had stoned Jesus, then he would not have been the Messiah. So again prophecy being fulfilled but anyway he's going to be handed over delivered to the gentiles and they're going to mock him and they're going to scourge him and they're going to crucify him and then at the end of that sentence you know he says and on the third day he will rise again now i don't know again he he's dealing with real people and he would probably deal with me the same way he still does but I think that might have got my attention. How about you? Wait, wait, whoa, time out. Put the brakes on, Lord. Man, we've been following you. We're thinking that you're going to be removing the Roman yoke. You're returning the scepter back to Judah, man. We're going to kick out these nasty Romans out of Jerusalem, man. What are you talking about? The religious community is going to have a kangaroo court for you and then turn you over to Romans and then you're going to be crucified and... And raised from, I think that might have gotten my attention. Now, how many of you would be in, in my court this morning? Sure. Yeah, that's what you would think. Jesus is traveling with his 12 disciples. He's going there primarily to be crucified, but also to celebrate the Passover. And you kind of have to wonder, when was it that Jesus started to think about this whole thing about the last meal, you know, going into Jerusalem, you know, the whole crucifixion thing. When did he start to think about that? Well, I got this gut feeling that he had, the, for the, even the three and a half years he was thinking about it, but it even would go back further than that. Because if you remember, when Jesus was around 12 years old, they would go to for the Passover meal in Jerusalem, and thinking that he was still with the family, they leave him in Jerusalem at 12. And Mary goes to Joseph, Joseph, where's Jesus? I don't know, I thought you had him. No, I thought he was with the relatives. So they have to go all the way back to Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple area, and he's having a discourse. He's having a, a, a rabbinical conversation with the priest in the temple. And so mom, Mary, comes as any mother would and say, you know, you're killing me here, Jesus. You, you, you can't just do this to us. And he said, hey, don't you know that I am about my father's business? 
Could it be that even from like 12 years old, this kid Jesus, as he's getting closer to age 30, he always knew that one day, this day was coming, where he would walk past the Kindred Valley for the last time. That he would be crucified there on that, that mount. See, he has an order in the direction he's on the, he's on the east side of the Jordan River. He's traveling. He's going to go through Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus had lived. He's got to go through this valley called the Kindred Valley. The nickname for that was the Valley of Black. Because every Passover, this valley would turn a deep, dark, blood red black. And the reason for that is because Flavius Josephus, a historian, tells us that during the life, that time of Jesus, the priests would sacrifice 250,000 lambs for the Passover celebration. Well, that became, you know, that became a health issue. So Herod built an aqueduct from the mountains, channeled it down into Jerusalem in order to wash all the blood off the Temple Mount and into the Kindred Valley. And you got to wonder. It's not in the Bible, but you got to wonder. As Jesus, year after year after year, is going through the Kindred Valley, seeing all that blood being washed into that valley, Thinking in his own heart, one day it will be my blood that flows from this place. It'll be my blood. It's a sobering time for Jesus, you know, to think about what's, what's going to happen. Um, it wasn't, again, it was the third time, but in Matthew 16, there might have even been more times that Jesus tried to tell them about this journey they will have to make in order for him to die. It tells us in Matthew 16, from that time forth, Jesus began to show them or show unto his disciples that he, that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and then to be, then to be raised on the third day. So over and over, he was telling them the most important thing. In, in my, my heart, the most important thing of all humanity ever. The most important declaration that a lamb of God was going to come and die for the sins of humanity. You, you cannot get any more important news than that right there. And yet, just like the disciples, many today, if you tell them, it goes right over their heads. They're, they're worried more about, you know, some selfish thing that's in their heart, a desire or whatever, than when the greatest thing that mankind could ever be told is Jesus took our sin, bore our sin, was judged on our behalf. A cup that he would have to drink from. And you tell that and it goes right up. And I don't mean non-religious people. I mean even today religious people as well. There is such an effort within the church today to remove the gospel message. Why? It's not relative, relative uh, Harry. You know, we, we don't want to be offensive. So do we don't want to talk about somebody being beaten beyond human recognition. We don't want to talk about the lies and the scourging and what he might have looked at. Come on, that's so negative. We need to be relative. Kids won't listen to that anymore. We need positive messages. It goes right over them. Without the gospel, there's no salvation. Without the cross, there's no salvation. Without the cross, our kids are going to hell, not, not to heaven. 
And another thing I just love about this whole thing is what we see is Jesus is just orchestrating this thing. He's orchestrating everything and he's moving at his own pace. He even would say, no one's going to take my life. Relax. I lay down my life. You know, I really think too, and again, it's just some of the way I read the scriptures though, where Jesus is dying and he crawls to the cross. He lays himself down after he knows that sin had been judged. It says he yielded up his spirit to God. I don't even think the crucifixion really killed him. He gave his life up. He died on the cross, but he was in such control of his life for us. There's that scene in the Passion. Every time I see it, I just break down. I'm such a baby, guys. Everybody got hired as a tough guy. You know, I'm no, I'm a wimp sometimes, you know. When I see Jesus after he's been beaten and the, the Roman guards there in that movie start to get, you know, the instruments, you watch Jesus crawl to the cross and roll over it and lay himself down on it. No man takes my life. I lay down my own life for the sins of humanity. See, that... That, that kind of thing, that, that thought there, and everybody's going to be different. I, I get that. But when I sit alone, I just fall deeper and deeper in love with him when I see the love that he had for me. Makes sense, church? So, verse 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, and with her sons, it's almost like her sons put her up to it, but I want you to notice something there. And if you're a note taker, circle the word kneeling down. Uh, she's asking him something. That word to kneel down, proskoneo in the Greek language, it isn't the doxa that we read like this where you, where you would see something holy and you just bow down to it, you know, the... It does mean, actually the Orientals use the same kind of word where if there's somebody of high stature, they'll come down, they'll bow down, touch their foreheads to the ground, then come up, touch them. It's, you know, this, these gymnastics they go through. But that's not what she's doing. Now there's people who disagree and everybody's well, you're welcome to your own opinion. But because that word, it doesn't mean, it's, he's, she's asking whether to, to, to um, express repentance um, respect or to request a supplication. She's kneeling down because she wants to ask Jesus something. See, she's a relative to Jesus. She watched Jesus grow up. You know, now all of a sudden she wants something, so she's going to come down and she's going to pay this homage. She's going to start bowing down. She goes, I got something to ask you. So you wonder what was even the motive of Salome's heart when she came to ask. She was the mother of Zebedee's children. Of course, she's the sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that makes these two, the sons of thunder, cousins to Jesus. So it, it's not like she, she saw a miracle and wanted to worship Again, I, Mark's gospel, if you read that carefully, they come and ask her and basically say, uh, we want to ask a favor of you. Um, so Jesus said in verse 21, well, what is it? What do, what do you wish? 
So she says, I want you to grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. Oh, you know, that's a mom for you, isn't it? Go for broke, mom. You know, if you're going for something, you know, for your boys, you want to go for the cream of the crop here, man. Don't just settle for the, you know. Just want, can can they sit on your throne? And now, I don't know about you. I never liked to get my mom involved with too many things when I was a teenager or a young adult, you know. Come on, mom, will you just stay out of it, you know. But these two... They want mom involved. Hey, mom, you're older in the culture. People respect you. Come on, we're family relatives. Just bow down to Jesus. Say, look, I got something I need to ask you. You know. So again, evidently, this whole thing about the going to Jerusalem and dying, it went right over, right over them. She wasn't even thinking about what he had just... Pre- said, you know, about his death being handed over to be crucified, you know. And it's not like she's even saying, Lord, if, if, if it's possible. And then she's really saying to them, here's a certain thing that I desire from you, Jesus. The word grant there, um, is pepon or something like that, isn't like, you know, if it's possible. What what he's saying, she said, the word grant means, give me your word, you'll do this. I want this. See, it kind of puts a different spin on it once you start to look into your lexicon and you pull out these words. You now I'm getting a bigger picture of this whole thing. What I see between the boys and her. And, and I kind of get it. I, I'm a dad and you moms, you would get it. You want the best for your boys and, and your girls or whatever, your family. Um, but man, she's trying to lay the trump down here. See, this, this request that my two sons can sit, one on your left, one, where did that thought come from? Well, if you remember, a week ago, we had studied chapter 19 together, and I'll just read it to you. Peter answered him and said, Lord, see, we have, we have left all to follow you. Where, uh, wherefore, shall, what shall we get out of it? You know, what's, what's, what's in it for us? And so Jesus answers them and says, Surely I say to you that in the, in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on the throne of his glory, speaking of the millennial reign of Christ, something in the future... Um, you who follow me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where this thought came up. Thrones? There's 12 thrones we're going to sit on? Oh, man. See, they would not have understand when he would sit in his glory. They're thinking that when he sits in his glory here on earth. But Jesus doesn't really sit in his glory as doxa here on earth. That's during the millennial reign. That's in the eternal. They didn't know that. And 29, he says, everyone that's left his houses, brothers, sisters, and fathers, mothers, and, or lands, he says, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, you, you have done this. You've made a great sacrifice. And what you're going to get out of it, one day when we're in heaven, and by the way, there's 24 thrones in heaven, not just 12, but 12 of the apostles are going to take seats up there. So we really don't know who's going to sit on the left or right. It might even be Moses and Elijah. Hey, I don't know who sits there, but it's going to be all right with me, whoever's, who's ever there, right? And so he says, you don't worry. There's an eternal reward. 
And by the way, there's even like an earthly reward. Oh, what is that? Well, if you picked up your cross, you followed me, there's certain things you had to forsake in order to serve me, you'll regain it a hundredfold when you enter into the body of Christ. If you had to leave your family, your family's going to be much bigger. If, if you had to leave where you lived or worked, the body of Christ will get together and we'll support each other and we'll work it out. So he says, yeah, there's reward. But then he said, but listen, the first will be last and the last will be first. He says to his disciples, you will be first in the eternal and even on the earth. But the last, like that young rich ruler, he'll be last. So last, he doesn't even enter in. That's where this whole question came up. Can one sit on your left? Can one sit on your right? I like that idea about the throne. The problem was the timing of it was all wrong. So in verse 22, Jesus said, look, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The word baptizo is, means immersed. Are you able to be immersed in something that I am going to be immersed in? He says about the cup. What is, what is the cup that he's going to drink from? Now, we're going through the book of Revelation, and we understand whenever it speaks of a cup, especially a cup that one would have to drink of, we're talking about the, 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 the wine of his wrath, you know, the grapes that will be trampled. He's talking about the wrath of God. He goes, are you able to drink from that? You know, Jesus really started drinking that cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? If you remember that story, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, Gethsemane, the literal translation is olive press. It's where they the olives were pressed. And he was pressed. And I've never met a person who experienced that kind of Anxiety as Jesus did that day. He tells his boys, you know, pray with me. And he goes a little further and he falls down. And it tells us he sweat great drops of blood. He keeps sweating. And it's a, it's a mental, it's a medical and mental condition of sweat glands rupturing because of the anxiety and all. You can look it up in some medical thing, but it's a real thing. And he's crying out and he's saying, not my, you know, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, I don't want to drink it. But if I have to, your will be done and not mine. And um, he even, after he came back and found his disciples sleeping, he would wake them up and say, listen, couldn't you just pray with me just for one hour? Because there will be a time when you fall into a temptation, a trial. Maybe not that bad or severely, but you will be tried. And without, without prayer, you're going to fail it. Again, Jesus trying to tell his disciples how important prayer is when you're going through a trial. When you're going through something where you think, I'm just barely hanging on. Ever been there, gang? Where your prayers are, aren't even words. They're just more groans. Where the Holy Spirit interprets that ground, uh, that groaning for you, you know. But that's what he was going through. 
The cup that he was speaking about was the sins of the world that was going to come upon him. And, um, but in verse 23, he says, You indeed uh, drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized. But, but the one, to sit on my right hand and on my left, that's not mine to give. But, the, but it is for those, who, um, for those for whom it is prepared by the Father, my Father. They, they would drink a, a cup. They wouldn't drink the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath. Um, but most of them would die a martyr's death. And um, in fact, it would be James um, in our story here would be the first martyr. I um, looked that up this week because I know John also, he would be sentenced to a long life of martyrdom. I mean, he, he died of a physical death, um, natural death. He was around 95, 96 years old when John the Apostle died. But John was the one, of course, if you remember, was the one who was exiled on the island of Patmos. Was, that was no picnic. Uh, he, they tried to boil him in a vat of oil. They couldn't kill the guy, literally. And so finally they just left him on, alone. But around in his 90s, they took him off the island and brought him back to Ephesus. And as, he, as the apostles were carrying him around, he was a very old, feeble man. They would take him into different synagogues or different ch home churches, prop him up, literally. You can read about this. This is history. And they would just wait for him to get enough strength to preach to them. And his last sermon before he died was in Ephesus. And it wasn't a very long sermon. It was a one-sentence uh, sermon, and it was brothers learn to love one another. That was John's last message. And I think that's an appropriate message even today, isn't it? Learn to love one another. Because if we learn to do that, everything Paul warned the Corinthians and warned the Galatians about divisions and people jockeying for, for position, selfishness, if we truly learn to love one another, that would hardly be likely but James I just want to give you a little history on James if you don't mind um, there are, archaeologists have discovered over time different fragments and I like collecting them and um, not the original fragments of course but um, there's one called the Philippian fragment you know which was found in the area of, and they're just historical books some of them even contradict the Bible so you just you just don't pay any mind to it but there's also a, a, a fragment of, it's called the, the Acts of the Church, not our book of Acts in our Bible. And there's five books, you know. And uh, so if you were studying the fragments of the book of Acts, you would go to book one, two, three, four, and five. But in book five, it tells us about how uh, James died. And um, this, he died around 68 A.D., and um, what was happening, of course, the early church was birthed and it was spreading like wildfire. It was growing at a rapid rate. And James was still ministering in Jerusalem. And he, was a, he, he must have been a great orator because people were just fascinated about the way he would preach. And it says in the fragment 
that the religious community came to James, and, and this is a quote, we entreat thee, restrain the people, for they have gone astray in their opinions about Jesus as if he was the Christ. They're going to James. Stop these people about believing in Jesus. Um, they go on and they say this. We entreat thee to persuade all those who come hither for, for, the, uh, f- uh, for the day of Passover concerning Jesus. So this must have happened right about Passover time, 68 A.D. So what's that mean to us? Well, we've studied the book of Acts. We kind of understand during that time, there are millions of people crammed into, the, into Jerusalem for the Passover meal. The lambs are being slaughtered. They grab James. You've got to persuade these people to stop this nonsense that Jesus is the Christos or the Messiah. And uh, so they go on to... Um, do thou therefore persuade the people not to understand or entertain erroneous opinions concerning Jesus? For all the people, and we also listen to thy persuasion, take a stand upon the summit of the temple. Most scholars believe they took James to the very place where Jesus was tempted with the three temptations, the stone, the casting off, and such, you know. So they took him up to the summit, and the reason they said they were taking him, so everyone could see you, the million or so, and your voice would project out and everyone be, be able to hear you as you discredit this rumor about Jesus being the Christ. I love history. And um, again, these were scribes and Pharisees. So James gets up there. I guess he thought, okay, if you want me to get that, you want to give me that kind of an audience. So this is what... This is what James, it says, James boldly testified that, and this was part of his message, Christ himself sitted in heaven at the right hand of the power and shall come in clouds of heaven. While that just wigged out the scribes and the Pharisees. And what they did is they shoved him off. They shoved him off. Fell into, guess what, valley. Yeah. And there it says that he survived the fall And as he's starting to get back to his knees, they start to stone him. And they're missing. Some landed. And this is, according to the scribes and the Pharisees, they threw threw down the just man. They began to stone him, for he was not killed by the fall. But he turned and kneeled down and said, I beseech thee, Lord God, our Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they didn't like that, so there was a guy who was, it was called a filler, and a filler was somebody who would dye clothes, and he had this big instrument in his hand where they would dip it in the clothes and turn it, put it in water, turn, but he ran up to him, and he smashed James's head in and killed him. He died as a martyr death. So Jesus says, you are going to drink of a cup, you know, and it's very interesting, this to read about how the apostles, every one of them drank from a cup of martyrdom. John's a little different, but his whole life was a life of martyr. And, um, but anyway, so again, but to sit on my right hand, to sit on my left, that's not mine to give. You know, it's, it is hard to imagine who those two people will be. 
but as I said earlier, whoever it is, it's going to be okay with us. Verse 24, he says, and when the ten heard it, notice this, and it's important. I could do a message just on this one verse. When the ten heard this, they were greatly displeased. That word greatly displeased carries the idea of pain. It means just extreme anger. They were indignant. They, how dare you? Now, the reason why I said I could really make a sermon out of this, if you remember at the beginning of this message, there were 12 of them fellowshipping together, listening to the most important message ever given. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. There's going to be this trial. I'm going to be mocked, scourged, die, rise again. Now, instead of 12 all unified together, now there's 10 and 2, a disunity. See, that's what happens with selfish ambition. It really does. That's when when people start to think, you know, I deserve this. Mom, we deserve this. We're relatives. Hey, I'm John, the beloved. I'm the one who loves him the most. Oh, look, I'm James. I'm I'm a great orator. We need to sit on those things. There's such a danger when people, all of a sudden, they just decide, there is something in my life that I have to fulfill. Self-fulfillment will always, a desire for self-fulfillment will always damage the body of Christ. It will never heal it, and it will never cause it to grow. It is nothing but sheer selfishness. I want to do this, and if you don't let me do this, then I will break away and do it on my own. And that's what you see right here. Instead of 12, you've got 10. And they're, and they're arguing, and they're backbiting, you know. Um, I think even there's something else. If you think about this, Jesus, what he has accomplished over three and a half years, just think about it, this stupid little argument jeopardizes everything Jesus has done. I mean, just it would never happen because it's prophetic. But imagine if that little split they had there right then disintegrated that little fellowship of believers. And they all said, forget this. If this is the way we're going to be treated as disciples. And I see that in the body of Christ when someone says, I really didn't get my way, so I'm going to break off. You know, we're going to just fracture it and we're going to go do our own little thing. That's not a servant. We'll see that just in a minute because Jesus, Jesus is going to relate to it. You know, the problem with this kind of mentality is what people like James and John doesn't realize, they're always going to have to watch their back. Even if they got their way, there's somebody else going to come behind them and do the same thing to them. It's like the old Western with the gunslinger. You might be the quickest draw, but somebody's going to get there who's a little quicker than you. And somebody's going to hurt, get hurt, and somebody's going to die. Jesus, or Paul the Apostle, and apparently, you know, we've, we've, we, how many of you have ever heard of church splits and that kind of stuff and how they get fractured? I mean, it's just in the church across Christendom, whatever. But it ought not to be. If the body of Christ was taught that we're servants, we're not leaders, you know, we're, we're bond slaves and we don't kick and get, try to get our own way. What we do is we, we take that role of a bond servant, we take a couple steps back and I have no claims to anything, I just want to serve you. Imagine the whole church had that mentality. You know what the fights would be over? 
I have a staff meeting every uh, Tuesday afternoon, and we, we get together. Now, can you imagine? I would go to Jerry, Jerry, how can I serve you today? Oh, not today, Harry. I want to serve you. No, no, Jerry, come on. I want to serve you. Juan pipes it. No, I want to serve both you guys. No, you're not, Juan. I don't want you to leave the office. I, can you imagine that kind of an argument? Not likely, right? Imagine the church just having a mentality is, I just want to be here to serve you. And I don't expect or yeah, get anything back. Just imagine. Paul, or Paul said to the church in Philippi, he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, conceit, but this, lowliness in mind. What does that mean? What does that look like? He goes on and he says, esteem others better than yourself. You know, watch out for that attitude that I, I, I deserve this. I deserve this. I've been going to that church. They should have recognized me. No, you don't want to be recognized. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You'll be exalted, lifted up. But that's in heaven. I'm never going to turn around and say, well done now, good and faithful servant. But you're going to hear it from God. When you get to heaven. Well done. It wasn't about you. You were my servant. You were the last. You didn't try to be the first. You picked up your cross. You followed me. You counted the cost. Well done. People want the recognition here today. They want their thrones now. I want to be the closest. Jesus thought, watch out about those seats that you sit in. Make sure you take the low seat. You don't want the high seat. Somebody might kick you out of there. He said to the church in Corinth, man, that was one messed up church. You know, thank God I pastored this one because if it was a church like Corinth, man, I'd run the other way. These were some messed up people. So he had to tell them, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, for I, for I fear, at least when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish that you shall be found by, by you such as you do not, or do not wish lest there be contention, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whispering, conceits, and tumults. Even to the church that was in Galatia, in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, cleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And by the way, sorcery, pharmakia. That's the use of drugs. Look, it's coming soon, guys. I know, I know recreational there's never going to be a Bible study in a recreational dope store. Shouldn't be. Be careful of that. Just like there shouldn't be a Bible study in a bar and the liberty that I can sit around and drink a few brewskis and study the Bible together. Got to watch that. Got to watch that. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. But if you do what I do and you have to deal with alcoholism and drug abuse, just for that in and of itself, you'd stay away from it, man. But anyway, the, the sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy. Remember the great dispute the disciples began to have. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambition. Listen, he goes a little further in 21. Envies, murder, drunkenness, rivalry. He includes selfish ambition in that menu. It is important for us to see in our lives if it's there. If it's self. Listen, if you think about it, 
That's what got Lucifer into a pickle, wasn't it? You know, if you go to Isaiah chapter 14, this is what it said. How, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said, notice, remember where I said selfish ambition in the heart, sin starts in the heart. He said this, for you have said in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Five I wills. I will, I will, I will. Maybe we should say, I won't. And I won't. I won't take that honor. I won't take that glory. I won't be recognized. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lower, lower um, uh, depths of the pit. But um, again, G- verse 25, Jesus called them to himself. How sad it is that Jesus now has to stop. One of the greatest things that ever happened for humanity has traveled to Jerusalem to die. He has to stop to put out such a crazy, stupid little fire. Little fire. In fact, it wasn't the first time. He says in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. You know. He says in verse 26, it's not, It should not be, am- be so among you. This isn't how I taught you. I didn't train you this way. You didn't follow me and see that in my life. In fact, he would say in Matthew 23, and we'll see that a little bit later, but he says, I do not, I I, I do not, no, I'm sorry. It says, and do not be called teacher. There's only one teacher that is Christ, but who is great among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humble and he who humbles himself will be exalted. No, he says this in verse 26, and it shall be not among you, but whoever desires to become great. I think that's new king. Old king said, if you want to be the chief among you, let him be your servants. Now, there's a play on words here. Because the word servant there in verse 26 is a little bit different in the word slave down in verse 27. The word slave there in verse 26 is the word um, uh, dia, um, wait, how, how's it pronounced? It's... Um, it's the word deacon, deaconos. It's the word deaconos, a servant. And, and it wasn't a, a position that you would want. Um, and it wouldn't be a possession that would be honored. But the word that he uses down in verse 27, if you want to be the first or the chief, he uses a different word there and says, then I want you to be, I want you to be a doulos. Now, if you've studied the scriptures, if you've been hanging out around here, you've heard me teach on that concept. A doula slave is someone who's fallen in love with his master. He doesn't want a thing. He just wants to be identified with his master. He's fallen in love with him. And he wants to serve him, not for a pay, not for anything. His motive was love for his master and his family. They would take it all, take him to the doorpost, ram the all through the, his earlobe. He would have a tag. He would carry it around. And if somebody saw him walking by, there's that doulos slave of someone. Man, he must really love his master. 
So if you want to be chief, if you want to be first, become nothing, no identity, secretly serve in the body. What does that look like? Just want to wrap this up real quick. I'm going to keep you just a minute or two. Well, that looks like what Jesus did in John 3, where he has his disciples sitting there. And he goes up to the disciples and he begins to kneel down and he starts to wash their feet. He comes up to Peter. Peter stops him. He says, no, man, you're not going to wash my feet. I need to be washing your feet, I think Peter was thinking, you know. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in the kingdom with me. <laughs> Peter, not another shiny moment. So, well, then give me a bath. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 you've already had that. I just need to wash your feet. When he was all done, he stands up, looks at his 12, and said, what you've seen me do here, in the Greek is, this is a model for you to do to one another. He's, he's not asking us to have foot washing ceremonies. I went to one of those and it creeped me out. But he's talking about taking that role as a bond servant. A bond servant. Don't take that place at the high end of the table to be recognized. Go to the lower part. It has been said the measure of man's greatness is not in the number of his servants, but in the number of the people he serves. Christianity, guys, being like Christ, isn't the person who wants to fracture the church, wants bigger positions, wants their own Bible studies, wants this, wants that. They're the ones who seize the body and say, how can I keep it together? You know, when I go away... I, I make sure my bride is taken care of. You know, she has certain numbers. She can call Rich. She can call Jerry. She can reach out to Juan. I want my bride protected. I don't want to come home and find out that she's been fractured. Imagine God with his bride. And he's put us in that place to be servants, to keep his body healthy, and to keep it whole. Let's stand together.